Father, we would ask that uh, as we go through this next section here, that you would just bless us with insight, wisdom, wisdom that you possess only to help us not to view things in this life that transpire as something evil because we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so, Father, um, as I go through these next items here, I pray that you would uh, bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I may or may not make it to Matthew today, chapter 14. And we're going to have a couple of firsts that take place in this church. Now, these firsts that are taking place in the months to come, probably somewhere around June, we are going to ordain our first pastor, and we're going to uh, install our first deacon. Now, we're doing that. Can you guess who those might be? Eric? Yes? Oh, yeah. No, not John. Yes, Stephen. Now, I asked you that question, and you knew the answer. Why did you know the answer? You knew the answer because it's evident. And this is how God raises up people. It becomes evident who they are, that God's hand is on them. And as a result of that, we stand back and go, okay, Lord, I guess you want us to move forward with this. And, of course, it's always in the affirmative. Now, how long have we been working on this? Um, Two years. Steve, when did we go to dinner? A year ago? A year ago. We talked about it then. And for Eric, it's, what, over two years? Three years, maybe, we've been talking about it? And so this isn't a rash decision, like we're doing this right away. You know, this is something that we've been praying about and taking our time. And when something like this happens, it's a big deal. You know, it's not something that is just like, oh, yeah, oh, yes, another Sunday service. No, when we do this, we're going to have a potluck. We're going to have a hootenanny. You know, we're, we're going to be blessed by what the Lord is doing. Now, I want to talk about that a little bit. And by the way, there are other people that I think might be qualified in the same ways for different positions inside the church, but the Lord has to establish it. It would be a mistake for me to come along and say, well, would you like this? You know, that, that's the wrong thing to do. The Lord has to raise up somebody, and it has to be, whether man or woman, it has to be to the point where the individual has the desire on their hearts. And they come forward and they say, I would like to do this, or I would like to take on more responsibility. Scripture talks about those who would be elders, that, that uh, it comes from a desire. And the Lord puts the desire inside the heart, and then that starts working itself out in the way that it should. If you just go and appoint somebody, there's a danger there. There's a danger of the person being filled with pride if they're a young convert. There's a danger in the person not knowing enough and being uh, caught up or caught up in in, uh, uh, controversy. And they just have to have some experience and some wisdom. And God provides for all of that. But when it comes to this, now, this is certainly a blessing to us, but I want to explain how it works in Calvary Chapel. Like, for instance, in the Catholic Church, if somebody was to be a deacon, they would actually 
put on a robe and they'd go up to the altar and they would uh, pass out communion and you really couldn't tell the difference between them and a priest. And there are some differences in the two positions, certainly from Scripture. But I I just want to reiterate that we do not choose. It's not a vocation. It's not that... Somebody in high school or in college says, you know what, I want to grow up to be a pastor. I think I'll start studying for that, and that's the vocation that I'm going to choose. It's something that you have to be called to. God raises up individuals, both men and women, in any church or ministry that are capable. And there are men and women who have served for years in ministry in these capacities without any type of recognition or official appointment. And I think that's the best way to start out, that if somebody is in that position, uh, like, for instance, with Steve, I told him a year and a half ago, I said, it is clear to me that God has called you uh, to be serving as a deacon. You have those particular gifts, those particular concerns. And so God does this. It's my job. It's the job of the elders just to look and see who God has called to these positions. Now, there are those who refuse to be recognized or installed when they could. And there are those who want an official recognition and are not qualified. I've had both of these. I've had people say, you know, so-and-so should be in this position. And I would say, well, you're probably right. But the person absolutely refuses to do that. And I will get to the scripture in a bit. The the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Which means if you are called to something, a a position inside the church or a position inside ministry, and you say, no, I don't want to do it, that's just simply disobedience. You know, that's the only way that I can say it. Um, I'm not trying to be cruel or harmful in any way, but the person, for instance, a person who clearly has the gift of teaching, and they're not teaching. Why are they not operating in their gift inside of the body of Christ? And that's only because there's something normally. There's always exceptions to the rule. But normally inside there's something that's keeping it from doing or keeping them from doing the particular ministry God has called them to or in using their particular gift. What if their gift is encouragement? And they come to church and they say, I'm not going to encourage anybody. I don't care how their lives are going. You know, I have some problems of my own. What's the focus there? The focus is inward and not outward. And we'll see as we go through chapter 14 that Jesus, when John the Baptist was killed, when he was beheaded, do you know what he did? You guys remember what he did? He went out and healed all kinds of people. That's what he did. He focused on everybody else in the midst of his tragedy, and that was a tragedy for him. John was his cousin, and I'm sure they grew up together and they loved each other. You know, so these types of things, if somebody has a gift, they're supposed to be using the gift. And the goal inside a church is to find out what your gift is. If the gift of helps is yours, then help inside the church. And usually that person doesn't want to come out in front and say, hey, I have the gift of helps, I want to help. That doesn't do that. That person doesn't do that. It's just recognize that they're always there. You're here again? Well, yeah, I, I thought I should do something. You know, so... The person that has a gift needs to be using the gift, but there are some who refuse to be recognized or installed, and then there are others who want official recognition and are not qualified, and that's another danger. 
somebody gets installed in a position and it can just destroy them or it can shipwreck their faith. Now, the men and women that God selects, I will say this, they're not perfect. I'll be the first example of that. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But they have shown faithfulness in what God has called them to do. I mean, that's one of the fruit of the Spirit that's listed in Galatians chapter 5. That they are faithful. You can count on them just like the sun is going to come up. You know it's going to come up the next day. You ever wake up in the morning and go, I'm really afraid the sun's not going to rise. Well, it's not like that with the individual who God has called. They want to be there. If somebody has the attitude, Bible study again? Do I have to do that again? What, you want to pray? Well, there's so much praying going on. Really? Again? You know, if, if that's going on, it's like, I don't think you're viewing this quite right. You know, it's, it's, when I come to church, I get to teach. I get, now, it's not my gift. I do it, the, the playing of the tar- guitar. I get to play the guitar. Woohoo! You know, I, mean, I, I have a fun time. I enjoy what I do. Or I get to sweep the floor or, you know, clean the toilet. Oh, all for you, Lord. You know, just get right in and that's how we're supposed to look at it. We're working for God and he will repay us for any little deed that we accomplish. But if we're always walking around, those of you who are in here, most of you remember Schlepprock. You know, some, always oh, me, Eeyore, I don't know, church is just a drag sometime. If you're looking at it like that, you need a new heart. That's not how the Lord looks at us, and we're not to look at his ministry in that fashion as well. Now, to ministry, there is a burden of ministry. But you know, when uh, you go backpacking, I've been backpacking several times, you put 40 to 50 pounds in your back. And the person who does that, now there are some, this is so heavy, I'm so... And they just kind of weepy and so hard. And most of the people who are avid backpackers, they load that thing on there, let's go! And they're, they're on the trail, look at that mountain, let's do that mountain, you know, and that's the way it is. They don't look at it as a burden, and especially the burden of serving Jesus Christ. What does it say about his burden and his yoke? His yoke is easy and his burden is light. So it's like a day pack. You put this day pack on. Now we have a tendency to stuff that day pack. I want to put more in it. Here, let me grab this lead weight and put in there. I I need to do this. And the Lord's going, no. And there's certain things you can do in ministry to do that. One is being overcommitted. Okay, I'm going to clean the church at 3 o'clock. I'm going to be at prayer at 6 o'clock. I'm going to be at the Bible study at 7 o'clock. I'm going to be praying till 10 o'clock. Then I'm going to go home and study until 1 o'clock. And then I'm going to minister to somebody that just called me at 3 o'clock in the morning. And they just keep on adding and adding and adding. And sometimes you have to just say, that's enough. And the person who's called to a particular position, usually they have wisdom not to do that. And I'm always encouraging people, do not overload. If something isn't getting it done, well, let it fail. We don't have to worry about it. And some people, they get all frightened about that. We can't do that. Oh, yes, we can. Why can you do that? Because it's not my church. It's the Lord's. He knows what's going on. If something is going to fall or go by the wayside, (laughs) ain't my problem. 
It's God's problem. It's his church. So going on with this, now a deacon. If you want to turn over to uh, Acts chapter 6 in your Bibles, we're going to read through in a moment, verses 1 through 6. But the task of a deacon is to watch over the daily needs and have hands-on care for the ministries inside the church and how it functions. For instance, uh, Steve, today, I might use you as an example a few times. If your head gets a little big, we'll go and pop it, all right? But that's one of the things you do as a minister of Christ. If Even we do self-checks and we check each other. We got to walk in humility. But today, you know, uh, he told me that he got the ladder out four times this week to change bulbs and move things around. And I asked him to change some bulbs in the little uh, thing that Cheryl has done a wonderful job on back there that... Uh, I don't know what you call the case in the case. And he's just attentive to the things at the church and getting out the blower and blowing off the stuff on the side and looking to everyone and their needs and sitting down and see if anybody needs something. And and that's kind of the deacon's role inside the church to do that. As opposed to somebody who is an elder inside the church. Now there's an example in Acts chapter 6 of a problem that was in the church. And they had to deal with it. And they were going to the apostles and saying, Would you deal with this, please? And this is the account of what took place. In those days, verse 1, chapter 6 of the book of Acts. In those days, when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be good or right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will, we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, Stephen, a man full of faith, And of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so there was a real need inside the church. You had the Christian Jews and the Hebraic Jews, and one group was being neglected, and they went to the apostles. Hey, will you guys do something about this? And they said, look. Our job is specific as the apostles, as the leaders in the church, or as what would be known as bishops. They held several different offices that's there. And their job is to focus on the word, on prayer, on ministry, on counsel, that type of thing. But there are men, capable men, who are able to minister to the needs, and they could divide up uh, those who were on the role of the church of being a true widow that had no family. They could divide up the... Uh, resources of the church to meet the needs. And that's not something that is necessary for an elder or an apostle to do. And that's where you're supposed to take the ministry and give it away. I love giving the ministry away. If somebody wants to come up every Sunday morning and sing and play on the guitar and you have some skill, that would be wonderful. If you know how to play drums, we have a cajon, that would be wonderful. If you can sing, if you can play guitar, hey, I'll give it to you. 
I, I promise I will, if you have some ability. Some people say, I want to do it, and they can't carry a tune in a bucket, you know, or they, they have no ability to follow through, or they don't know how to lead. And there's some who are um, ministers in the rough, and they can be honed, and they can be trained, that type of thing. But, you know, it, we're to give it away. I'm not supposed to do everything. I know what my particular task is in the church as well as with any elders. We just turned off the light there, Jennifer. If you could turn that back on, please. That's quite all right. Yeah, right there. That's right. Ah, let there be light. Okay, so that's what a deacon is supposed to do inside the church. They have particular tasks that they're supposed to accomplish, and they can organize people. Usually somebody who is a deacon has a gift of organization. They see things, and they may or may not put it down on paper. Uh, that can be a, There can be a problem with that kind of gift because they have it in their mind, and nobody's following through with it, and they know what they want to do, but they haven't really expressed it properly. And that's a learned uh, gift to do that. Uh, like Steve, when we've done the VBS up here, there is a... 3D model all made up. He sets it out there and says, puts lights on it and everything and says, see how wonderful this is going to, yes, let's go for that. And everybody can see what needs to be done and it, it gets done. And so that is the task of a deacon. Now an elder, an elder is responsible for the word of God, teaching and interpreting and ministering to the people directly through instruction, prayer, counsel, encouragement, admonishment, and even rebuke if necessary. Now, all elders at some point will have to carry out these tasks. And if you're a pastor, you definitely have to carry out these tasks. A teaching elder is specifically called to bringing instruction. Now, somebody can be an elder and not be a teaching elder, but they have the gift of uh, knowledge or they understand how the body works. They've been given wisdom by God. So not everybody is a teaching elder or what would be considered a bishop or a pastor. And a teaching elder can either be an assisting pastor or a senior pastor. That's the way it works. So if you get ordained, it doesn't mean that you have to go out and start a church somewhere. Although that's very exciting to do that, go out and start a church somewhere, but it's full of trials, it's full of tribulations as well. And again, just being in ministry has its own set of trials that come. Now, a a teaching elder, somebody who would be a pastor or an assisting pastor, they should have done weddings, funerals, communion, baptism, counseling, teaching and preaching, responsible for the direction of ministry and financial matters. They should have, in our estimation here at Calvary Chapel, taught home fellowship, taught youth group, has uh, and Eric over here, he's even done some gardening. Uh, he's been here. If, if you want to walk outside, right in this corner right here below those little palm trees are lobelia. He planted all of those. And they've lasted for years. It's like, huh, well, he can do that too. He looked at me and goes, how do I do this? I said, just put them in the ground. And he put them in the ground and it worked great. So he's done that. He's gone on mission trips. He has the right disposition. He has a good reputation with outsiders. And by the way, I did call up Costco where he works. I said, yo, tell me about this guy, Eric. What's with him? You know? And they go, oh, he's angelic. He's so sweet. 
you know, he has nothing but good things to say. He's diligent. He's here on time. He's exceptional. And I said, he is exceptional. And so uh, that's somebody who's not even in the church. That was his boss. That was, and I made the phone call. You know, that was just yesterday. No, I'm kidding. That was, that was several years ago. I, I called up and I talked to them about him. And he also has been walking with the Lord for decades. How long have you been saved? That was 10 years ago? <laughs> Since he was 16. You're in your 40s now, right? 42. Yeah, so he's been walking with the Lord for a long time. Now, I remember him. I'm pretty sure I remember him back at La Mesa when I was at La Mesa. Back when I had hair and so did he. Uh, you know, he, uh, he was in the youth group with Matt and Todd Lauderdale. You had Todd Lauderdale too, right? And then the Lord just brought him here. And uh, he met Jennifer at Horizon. Isn't that right? And so he's always been faithful. He's been in the church. And, you know, he's done everything pretty much. Now, you've done weddings and funerals, right? You've done all that. He's, he's preached. He's done everything that I have done. The only thing he hasn't done is gone to seminary. And I'm not so sure that's a plus after going to seminary. There's a lot of problems with seminary. It's, <coughs> it's good to go with the interaction, you know, that's there. But that's not necessary for those inside the body of Christ in Calvary Chapel. If somebody's going to be a pastor, they're called and they have the knowledge. And I know that I can go to him. I'm sure he knows much more than I do. And I can ask him about something and he'll either pull out the paper from his Bible or he'll tell me uh, just off the top of his head what's going on. Uh, he's able to do that. So he is well versed in the scriptures as well. Now in First Timothy, if you want to turn over there, chapter 3, verse 1. And by the way, I am going to review this in June. I'm going to go back over this again so we understand exactly what's taking place here. Verse 1 of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy says, here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, which is an elder or a bishop, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife. One wife, right? Okay. And by the way, um, when I became a pastor, somebody who is a Baptist minister, the wife of the Baptist minister, they were our neighbors, and they're a sweet, sweet couple. They said, you know, if uh, you've ever been married before, and even if your spouse died or there was divorce or something like that, even before you were saved, you would not qualify as being a senior pastor because it's one wife for life. You get one chance is the way that they interpreted that. The way I look at it is one wife at a time. You know, um, that's the way it's supposed to work. There's not supposed to be polygamy going on here. Must be temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent and gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. 
they must first be tested. And then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So everything is kind of laid out here, the qualifications of being a deacon or an elder. (coughs) And again, there is some scrutiny placed upon the wife as well. And I want to tell you that wives aren't perfect. There's only one that I know that is, but wives aren't perfect. And they also must bear the burden of ministry that their husband bears. And often it's bearing that ministry in silence. Uh, Attacks will come uh, to somebody who is a deacon or somebody who is an elder or somebody who is a pastor. And what does the wife want to do? Put up her dukes. Let's go for it. You know, that type of thing, a wrestling hold or throwing him down or uh, Tai Chi or Taekwondo or something. She she wants to protect her husband. And my attitude has always been if somebody wants to attack, whether me or somebody else in ministry, the Lord has a way of protecting. We don't have to do any of that. The Lord will make things clear. He will bring them to light. And if he doesn't do it on this side of heaven, he will do it on the other side of heaven because the Lord knows the intense of the heart, the, what's inside. And so I would say, for those of us who are in here, we need to judge for ourselves. Do Steve and Eric measure up to the description of pastor and deacon? And like I said, this has been a long process, and I think they do. Well, why don't we do this today? Why don't we just install them today? Well, there's a reason. I'm not going to install them today. As of March 25th, Eric is going to be in Wichita, Kansas. And he is going to be moving up to senior management. And he's taking his family. They're not going to remain here. They are going to be going in June. Now, we've talked about this for years, and I felt, well, I think now's the time. We need to go forward with this. Now, with that, you hear news like that, and you go, but wait a second. You're ordaining him and shipping him off? He's ours, right? That's kind of like the attitude we have. Like, it's mine. You know, in some, some seminaries, some churches, they will pay for somebody to go to either Bible college or seminary, and then they tell them, you have to work with us for five years once we do that. I think there's no greater tragedy than doing that. If the person gets called to go somewhere, or they have to pay the money back, and if they're called to go somewhere, okay, the Lord called them. They have enough maturity to know what's supposed to be taking place. And they, they do that. They, they put a yoke upon the people. It's probably a good idea that they move to the other side of the lights over there. We'll have to cover those. <clears throat> Anyhow, it, it's, it's a good idea to support people. And if the Lord is blessing them, like we have supported people in the past going to Bible college. I never once went to them and said, once you're done with Bible college, you're mine. I've never said that. And, and to do something like that would 
be for me to take the Lord's sheep and say, this is what I want to do with your sheep, Lord. This is how I'm going to handle this. And it's not right. No one should be doing that inside of ministry anywhere. If somebody's qualified, the Lord calls them to go somewhere, then they need to go. Now, with that, there are some questions, natural questions that come up. Why ordain Eric if he's leaving? You know, what's the deal with that? Well, first, he has a desire to be ordained. We've talked about it. Like, yeah, he asked me one day, well, I don't know how to ask this, so I'm just going to ask it. And I said, okay. And he asked me, you know, hey, how about becoming a pastor? Hmm. That was like a 1969, you asked me. It was way back. But second, he has performed every task that a pastor would perform inside this church. He's done everything that I've done. Third, recognizing someone for a position in the church doesn't mean we get to keep him, as I've already made the case. That's not our job. Wherever the Lord wants him, then the Lord wants him, you know, and send him there. And we are sending him out, we'll be sending him out fully prepared so that another ministry will recognize his calling. And when they do that, they'll be able to almost immediately install him to be used. Now, we don't know where that's going to be, but he has been tested. He has gone through that testing process here. It's kind of like some of these churches and denominations, you know, they'll bring in a pastor and say, oh, we like your teaching. We want you to be the pastor. And they've only heard him maybe four times. And they do the interviews and all of that. Well, that's kind of the way it is. He's had his training here. Somebody wants to call up and I'll say, he's wonderful. He's sweet. Just like the people at Costco. You know, all of that type of information I would be able to pass on and he would have the certificate right there with him if they had further questions. <clears throat> Fifth, Romans chapter 11, verse 29, as I previously stated, God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Now what he's talking about in context here is the Gentiles have received gifts, gifts of the Spirit. And we know that those gifts are listed specifically in 1 Corinthians, in Romans, uh, in Ephesians. It talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. All of that is listed in Ephesians. And all the other gifts. If God gives you a gift, you can't say, I'm going to give it back. Like salvation. Salvation is a gift. God gives it to us, and it's without repentance. If we are saved, truly saved, we are always saved. Second Corinthians 5.5 5 says he's given us his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing those, that which is to come, which is salvation. If you are called to be a pastor, you were always a pastor. What if you're a Marine? Are you always a Marine? Yes, you are. Hurrah! You know, if if you go into the military service as a Marine, they always consider you a Marine. If you are an elder, you are always an elder. If you are a deacon, you are always a deacon. That gift does not go away. And he was making it in the context of the Gentiles and also the Jews. The Jews had a call. There was Abraham. God called Abraham and promises were given to him and those promises are without repentance. They are not going to be taken away just like the gifts that God gives to us as the Gentile church. They are not going to be taken away. So, and I want to read this in another version here. It says, For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. He will never go back on his promises. 
And in the broader context, I just explained to you the gifts for the Gentiles and the callings for the Jews. So for years, like I said, we've been discussing this and kind of going over, in my mind, I'm going over, well, would this work, would this not work? And so what about the church? Well, how will we fare? Eric's leaving. Anybody want to come up and do the message before the 25th comes? I won't be here. No, don't raise your hand. Don't. <laughs> We're going to get somebody, but he's going to be doing next week. Eric will be here next week, and then after that, he's taken off. Well, who will fill in for me when I'm gone? It's not my problem. You understand how that works? This is God's church. God will provide. I'm not worried about it. Uh, well, who's going to do the weekly scripture reading? Well, it's open. There may be some of you who are out here that are going, you know, I think I'd like to do that. Well, can you read? Well, yeah, I can read. Can you read well? Well, maybe we'll consider you getting up here and reading. And by the way, when, when the Lord cuts off a branch, that allows new branches to come out. And unless the Lord cuts the branch, more fruit won't be produced. And so that's why the Lord does this. That's why the Lord took the church in Jerusalem, started persecution. Where'd they have to go? Antioch. When they went to Antioch, then it was the entire Gentile world because of that. But the church in Israel and Jerusalem were going, oh, I don't know if we can bear up under this. But it was for the good of the church. And because of that, we are here today. You know, so the Lord puts the call on people's heart. He, he's already prepared people in this church. I, I am positive of it for doing this. So it's not my problem. But if it's God's church, do you think that he's saying, Oh, great. Eric and Jennifer are leaving. Now what am I going to do? You know, is that what he's saying on his throne? No. He's just sitting there quietly, stoically, just going, This is going to be good. It's going to be good. Yeah, good's going to come out of this. Well, why don't people step up when prompted? You know, because there are people with gifts and they decide they don't want to do something or they don't want to be involved. I've got 10 minutes. I'm keeping track of this here. <clears throat> why don't they do it? Well, it could be a bad experience elsewhere. It could be rooted in selfishness. I just don't want to. There could be a fear of conflict. Iron sharpens iron. Again, bad experiences. Because guess what? If you get in ministry, you're going to have conflict. People are going to say bad things about you if you do that. Problem of overextending themselves in ministry, taking too much on, a fear of inadequacy. All of those things are for anybody who is in a position of leadership. Well, now, Eric, like, why is he leaving? Did he pray about this? Well, yeah, he did. Did I pray about this? No, because I didn't want it to happen. You know, just kidding. But you get the idea that there are those who leave because they're called to do so. And they do so unselfishly. I think somebody back there already had tears over this last week. And they knew that it was taking place. Also, there are those who leave because they want to, to satisfy their own self-desires. They act in a selfish manner. They plan out, well, this is what I'm going to do and here's why I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because that's where I want to be. And I want to be there because they have X, Y, and Z. And it's close and it has everything that I want in a community, so I'm going to go over there. I'm going to go over to this church because, you know, their worship is awesome. Well, how's the teaching? Well, not quite sure. 
but the worship is awesome. Well, that's wonderful. Just remember Bethel and Hillsong and all of that. Not all their songs are bad, but you get the idea? People do these things without even praying about it. They just say, because I want to. I want to leave. I want to go over here. Well, great. Did the Lord tell you? If the Lord told you, great. Bless you. Go have fun. Break a leg. You know, in a kind way, you're saying break a leg. And what about those that are people who are offended? I've had people get up and walk out in the middle of the message because they're offended and they leave and they never come back. There are those who are disobedient. They leave when they shouldn't. There are those who have a change of life circumstances beyond their control and they have to leave. You you can't do anything about that. And there are also those who are asked to leave. And I've had that at least one time where I've asked somebody to leave the church. Now, why do people stay? Well, they stay because God told them to remain. Uh, They may come because of expository teaching. I'm talking about here at Calvary Chapel or the relationships, or if this is the case, it should not be the case. They feel trapped. Nobody should ever feel trapped in a church. Or there's a fear because they have a familiarity and they, they don't like change. People don't like change. It's just the way we're built. And there will always be people coming and going. My pastor once told me, he said, when you start this church every two years, the makeup of the church is going to change. There will be different people in two years. And that has been consistent over 28 years of ministry. I've seen it. About every two to three years, there's a new group of people that come in. And there's some that remain. Uh, Sandy Capaletti has been here since El Cap. Uh, she left for a while and then she came back. She said, that's the best teaching I've ever heard in the entire world. No, I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. She just decided to come back, you know, because she felt the Lord tell her to come back. And so she came back. And, and most people, though, most people in any church eventually leave. And that's the way it's supposed to be because the Lord calls them because they've matured. They have the ability to help others. They have fully experienced what Christ wants them to experience in order to be equipped to go where they have to go. So when it comes to Eric being ordained, what a blessing when it comes to Recognizing Steve as a deacon, what a blessing. When it comes to delivering a pastor to another ministry, bah humbug, what a blessing, huh? So when it comes to those stepping up and filling in perceived gaps, what a blessing. This means there will be those who truly step up to the road of maturity. Because you really can't mature without a little strife and problems and trials, and they're thinking of themselves less than they think of others you know philippians chapter 2 talks about that consider others better than yourselves so what i'm going to do right now since this is the last time i will see eric until june i'm going to have eric come up all the kids just bring them all up and charity's not feeling well this morning um so you guys come on up here now i'm going to ask a few people to come up and help pray people that i know that have served in ministry, are mature. Now, Vince, I'd ask you to come up, but I'm just going to have you pray from there, okay? Because I know what you have. I, I know you have the walker there. Now, Rudy, Pat, would you come up here, please? And Stephen, would you come up here? So we're going to pray for this family. The whole lot of you. 
Now, most of these kids were born here. All of them were born here. That's how far back we go. When Eric still had hair. You know, so. <clears throat> okay, so what I'd like to do is, Vince, I would like you to start us out in prayer. And then we're just going to go this way. And then I'll close with a prayer. Okay? So when you guys pray, please pray nice and loud. Okay? Well, so go ahead, Vince, if you'd start us out. Heavenly Father, I want to lift up first the children, the kids, from Charity to Mariah, all in between. We would ask that your hand of blessing would be upon them, that you would give them wisdom beyond their years, that they'd be able to retain all the Bible information, the verses that they have garnered, that they have actually absorbed over the years. We pray that they'd be able to recall these verses and that they would guide them and that they would use the wisdom you have implanted within them, and that they would trust their parents for additional wisdom, what to do, what is right, what is wrong, what to avoid. And Father, first for, uh, Jen, or secondly for Jennifer, I pray that you would uh, help her uh, to deal with a move. It is a very emotional time, or it can be. And I pray that you would just bring comfort, that you would show her the blessings that await and that you would enable her to assist her husband, be a true helpmate to him. And for Eric, Lord, you have raised him up. Uh, He has gained knowledge and wisdom, and it is evident to all who know him to any degree that your hand has been upon him. And I would ask that you would cause him to excel, that in his new job there would be none that would be comparable, like Joseph in the Old Testament. I pray that you would use him in this day and age, this church age, to be a witness to all he comes in contact with at that new Costco, as well as direct him to a church, a church that would fit his needs, the needs of his family as well, and that you would use him to minister to others. We thank you for him and his faithfulness and faithfulness to this church, faithfulness to you, and serving here uh, in the ministry. So, Lord, give them travel mercies, or at least Eric for the time being. Give him travel mercies as he drives back. Pray that you would give him the right place to live, the right friends to make, the acquaintances, and direct him, Lord, where you want him. And we'll trust in you for all of these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Okay, go ahead and take a seat for a second, if you would. Now, just to reiterate, Eric is leaving on the 25th. And then Jen and the rest of the family are going to be leaving sometime in June. And what we're going to have is a packing party. Uh, He's probably going to have to rent the largest U-Haul. There are several children in this family. And so we're going to get together. And we've done this before where we've moved out people and we're going to give them help. And if you have boxes, I don't know if Jennifer has anywhere to put the boxes yet. But uh, I'm sure she can use all kinds of boxes and any kind of wisdom or prayer that you can lift up for her and for Eric during this time, it would be great. I'm just going to close with a word of prayer instead of a song uh, this morning. We're past the time, and I don't want to inconvenience anyone. So let's pray. As you would stand, please, before I pray.
Father, we thank you for the faithfulness that has been shown in Eric and his family. And I have seen how over the years you have raised him up, how he has gone through the scriptures and how they have made him wise. I would ask, Lord, that you would again protect them as they go back east, have them influence many and their children as well. To all the generations until you come, may their influence just astound those who know them. And Father, for us, help us to be patient, help us to wait. If there are tasks that you have before us, make us aware. But most of all, Lord, may we always do and carry out your will over our will. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week in Christ.